Welcome to Middle School Walk and Talk, a podcast series offering heart, hope, and help to members of our middle school communities. Take a walk with hosts Phyllis Bagel and Joe Mazza as they discuss self-care, student well-being, school culture, and more. Middle School Walk and Talk is designed to support the concepts found in the book, The Successful Middle School, This We Believe, and is a production of the Association for Middle Level Education. Learn more at amle.org. Today's episode, how long is too long for adolescents to begin transitioning back to in-person school? Hello, Phyllis. How are you? I'm good. Hi, Joe. It's about 75 degrees and beautiful out. It's windy, but I'm back to the walk and talk. Are you able to hear me okay? I am, and hopefully you can hear me. We've got high winds here, but it's also 70 degrees in New York, and uh, the sun is shining, and I'll tell you what, it really does uh, something for the mental health uh, when you can walk outside and, and not have to worry about slipping on ice um, or putting a jacket on or rain or anything like that. It's just beautiful. Spring break started today for our students and staff. Um, so I'm walking around an empty building outside. Wow. Well, happy, happy spring break. I'm sure you're ready for it. Yeah, I think uh, every educator in the, on the planet uh, is ready for spring break this year. And it's, uh, it's just hard to believe, you know, what we were talking about back in August, um, even July when we started planning uh, and where we are now, how we've uh, made it. But we did it. We're here. But we definitely need a, a week to recharge. That's true. I'm actually, I'm at the end of my spring break. The Friday of my spring break is hard to believe how quickly it went. And, you know, we didn't go anywhere. We were just home. And in some ways, I feel like I furthered away my spring break. But on the other hand, it was so nice to have a staycation and not have to actually be anywhere and be able to do things like go prom dress shopping with my daughter. And hopefully there will be a prom. Who knows? But it, it was nice to have an unstructured week. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. And baseball season starting and Little league starting, so that's what we've been doing every night when I get home from work. It's getting staying light a little longer, so it allows uh, a little bit of a uh, father-son baseball catch in the backyard time. So all good things. Things are looking up as they continue to. And uh, yes, we're still in this pandemic officially. Uh, we've got people being vaccinated every day. Um, I believe there's been a vaccination every day for the past two weeks. Um, and uh, those are all good things. Today, we want to talk a little bit about um, kids coming back to school. And uh, there's a lot of situations out there, right? In our situation, kids have had the option, families have had the option all year, whether to take classes by Zoom synchronously or to be in school and come every day. And, um, you know, it was pretty much 50-50 at the start and it's whittled all the way down to under 100 kids out. Um, And, uh, you know, we got fourth quarter coming up in about two weeks and um, I'm thinking a lot about how to get kids back in school but also how to respect the wishes of our families. I think that's so important and in in my neck of the woods you know my own school we've been hybrid everybody's been going half a day every day and Starting in a couple of weeks, they'll be full time every day. It will be the first time in a year we've had everyone in the building. And it's been tricky trying to manage the needs of the Zoomers and the Rumors in Large County, Montgomery County, Maryland, is there's there's a fair amount of antagonism between families who are 
and families who are choosing to stay remote. You know, there's some judgment on both sides, not universally, of course, but pockets of it. And I think it's really important as we're trying to get kids back. And I know as educators, we want to get kids back that we really remember to be respectful of everyone's choices and not, not to judge what people feel they need to do. in the- Absolutely. You know, and I think that's a, that's gotta be a, a staple, right? Ever since the beginning, you know, people had a choice um, and we've got to respect that. We've got to continue to respect that. Um, now, if, if the reason that, that families chose to, to stay home or to have kids attend school by Zoom is still the same issue, you know, there are some absolutely serious medical conditions of either people in the home or, or the, the student themselves. Um, we need to absolutely respect those. However, I'm also conscious of, hey, my kid's doing well. Um, he's comfortable. I don't want to change anything. We're just going to wait until next year. And that's the piece for me that I'm questioning a little bit because I'm very conscious of, of how tough it's going to be to come back if you've been out since March of last year. How do you feel about that? You know, I'm, I, I think that's equally true for adults and for kids. One of the other things that's sort of been an issue in, in the suburbs of D.C. is that as schools are only returning now and starting to return, some kids have not even returned yet, even in hybrid. I think the teachers have had a full year to really have their fears ramped up, even, even if they're vaccinated. And a lot of them have real fears about everything from air quality to uh, just what the logistics will look like. Maybe they, they're worried about teaching concurrently. And I think that whenever you have a fear of any kind, a phobia of any kind, the more you avoid it, the more it heightens. So the question for me is, what can we do for kids and for adults who are not coming back either because they're too comfortable or maybe because they're anxious about that change and it's been a year full of change and some kids might feel like they just don't have it in them to do another round of change or maybe parents don't feel like they have it in them to do another round of change. What can we do to give them small exposures so that we can extinguish the phobia because that's what we know uh, from psychology works. And so if they're not coming to school, I would still suggest that they maybe come and watch an outdoor sporting event or take a tour of the grounds or plan to meet in the field behind the school with a friend that they haven't seen in a long time just to start to put their toe in the water. Otherwise, I'm afraid that when all comes, we're going to see a lot of school phobia, a lot of school refusal, more anxiety, more perfectionism. And I think you're absolutely right, Joe, that we can nip a lot of that if we give them a chance to to get their feet wet now, to have them come back to school now. And I think that the key is to figure out what is getting in their way. Why aren't they able to come? Is it a hybrid schedule that doesn't work with their parents' work schedules? Is it fear about uh, somebody's you know, underlying vulnerability? Is it something that we as educators can help with? Is it, and so maybe the first step is trying to get a handle on what those, you said it was a hundred kids in your community. You know, what, what is it that those families are wrestling with right now as they make the decision? Right, I, I think the voice here, the check-in um, is really important, right? Uh, I would love to, you know, have all of those kids or three quarters of those kids um, come back for the fourth quarter that's starting in a couple of weeks. You know, I think there's 
there's certainly, and, and you made a good point about, you know, what is standing in the way and, and just understanding that. And, and I think that there's also a, sorry, a car just went completely the wrong way through our parking lot <laughs> here. I'm just afraid of what's going to happen here in a couple minutes. So if you hear a crash, um, <laughs> um, but it's still great to walk and talk, man, we've been inside because we haven't been able to go, but this is great. Um, I just, I want to make a conscious effort and I want families to know that, you know, this is something that really matters. Um, and I, I want to get started. I mean, I'm, it's kind of like we're starting 21, 22, you know, and, and for that to kind of kick off and, and be something that, um, you know, we're not focused on this year or last year to focus on next year. I feel like we need to start thinking and planning that now. Yes. And some of the tensions in local school do districts are that they have waiting lists for kids to return. So there might have been families who initially said they wanted to stay remote who changed their mind. But because of the six foot distancing rule, which we now know has been changed, although school systems haven't necessarily adapted yet to uh, accommodate for those changes, there are lots of families who want to return who can't. And so a corollary to your question is what can we do for those kids and those families so that they get the benefit of that exposure so that the fall isn't as jarring because one, one of the benefits of going back now is that it's only three months and then they have the summer to recover so I, I do think fatigue is going to be an issue just ramping up to the pace middle school in particular I mean how many thousands of interactions does a kid have to navigate over the course of one day in middle yeah. school and how many of them are really brought especially now and there is so much change and it does look so different. And so I do think there are some parents who think, you know what, I'm just going to sit this out and hope that when I send them back, it will just be more like normal school. And I'm not sure that's what it will be, or we, we just don't know, but erring on the side of sending them back, I think probably is going to prevent other problems when possible. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. And I, I think your insight is, is, is really important for, for families to, to hear. So um, hopefully lots of parents um, hear this. I know I'll be sending this uh, recording home to our families. Um, one of the things that I, I feel like is helpful when we're talking about how do we dip our toe in the water, we've had half days on Wednesdays um, because we've had to have teacher you know, meetings to talk about kids in the afternoons on Wednesdays. So um, our district made it a point to give students a half day on the Wednesday and have teacher work time, meeting time in the afternoon. And about three weeks ago, we opened up the option for parents to, to select the option, not just to come every day or not come every day, but to come on Wednesdays for that week only. So they could like try it out, see how oh, it I love that. Is it safe? Is it something right. that I can like maybe start there and then go in the next week or do it a couple times before I go in? And we have, we've gotten probably 25 or 30 kids um, back on a daily basis just because they had that opportunity. That, that's a really terrific idea. I, I know a few months ago I was writing an article and we were, and I was writing about how to get kids the mental health services that they need. And one of the suggestions I made, or one of my hopes was that we could fund kind of like social worker, counselor drive-bys, you know, sidewalk check-ins. And I wonder if for the kids who are not actually going to school, and again, not for reasons related to health but, or logistics necessarily, but related more to just that aversion or that concern that it will be too uncomfortable for their child or that they have had enough change or that they might as well wait till fall. I wonder if at minimum they could meet, you know, socially distanced outside 
with a couple of teachers or with their counselor or just to start to get used to coming on the grounds again, just those small little steps as opposed to waiting until fall to do the whole thing all at once for the first time in person. So I think you've, I think you've offered some suggestions, some ideas that allow parents uh, to, to just reintroduce it, you know, get kids thinking about it, um, get them off of the screen um, because let's face it, a remote kid is on the screen 100% of the time if they're in school, you know, although kids are on screens more than they've ever been in school while we're doing this, you know, hybrid instruction, there are times to go out and play and run around, right. and navigate all these social uh, opportunities um, successfully, unsuccessfully. It's part of the whole experience of, of adolescence. And that's the piece that's not happening right now that I worry the most about. I think too, that parents uh, and educators need to really be asking themselves, you know, whose anxiety is this? You know, is it somebody else in my household? Is mm. it me or is my child really ready to go back? Yeah. Uh, and if it's not my child's anxiety and it's mine, you know, what is it that I need in order to feel comfortable in that situation? Because for the adults too, whether they're teachers, whether they're parents, I think, taking a moment to think about what is getting in your way. And maybe some of it is irrational and maybe some of it is very rational, but really getting a handle on what the school is doing to keep people safe might be helpful or talking to other families who were also on the fence, but then decided to go back. Hearing about their experiences might be helpful. A coffee with you, Joe, with the principal could be helpful for alleviating some of those concerns. And on the, on the flip side, I think we also need to be figuring out how to reassure and help the families who don't have the option to come back either because of health reasons or because the school, doesn't, the school system doesn't have room for them at the moment, because that's a whole other set of anxiety. And we still have to meet those kids' needs and get them in a place where they're ready to learn and re-engage when they come back in, you know, after Labor Day or before Labor Day, whenever school starts. Right. And, you know, just knowing that our situations are unique and there's, you know, a thousand different scenarios and different approaches that schools have taken, you know, across the country and around the world, you know, quite frankly, what I would love is if the, the folks that are listening, you know, to this, whether they're educators or whether they're parents, um, maybe, maybe there's a, an opportunity to respond with some ideas. How are you doing this? How are you starting that trek back to have kids at school? You know, are you doing things outside, you know, making visits like you suggested, Phyllis? Um, are we having other opportunities for kids to come in at more of a smaller level, like a half day or like an event or like an outside club or a sport or, or something like that? Um, because I think all of us need to kind of think through the lens that we're working in right now and see what would be best for our particular community. I think you started by saying, let's reach out and ask and just talk to them and touch base let them know that, hey, we want them, to, you know, we want to, if it's safe, if it's, this is a situation, um, aside from extenuating circumstances, which all of us totally understand and, and empathize with, no judgment. Um, we want to, how do we do it? How can we work together to do this? Yeah, and it's actually not all that different from how I handle kids who don't want to be visible on Zoom. I ask them why they're not on Zoom. I try to figure out what the reason is. I ask them if they would like to be on Zoom and much of the time they do. And then we start talking about what they need in order to feel comfortable. And I'll have them rank their fear on a scale of one to 10. And if they say it's a nine, 
I'll say, well, what would constitute a risk you'd be comfortable with that's in the four to seven range? And it might be that they're on screen for the first or last five minutes where only their forehead is on screen. And I think that is the exact same uh, philosophy I would take to getting kids back in the building who don't have those extenuating circumstances. What is it that we can do to help you re-enter? To, to rejoin the community because I think that sense of belonging is going to be so important. And kids already are worried that maybe their friends won't remember them or they're not quite sure where they fit. They don't have their social footing in the same way. You add in masks and social distancing, even the kids in person feel that way. But what can we do to, to help them feel connected to their peers to ease that transition back? It could be that there's a, you know, a back to school picnic later in the summer, which a lot of schools do in typical times, it could be that there is, you know, an opportunity to, to only come for, for electives, or as you mentioned, only come for a half a day. But the, the one thing we don't want to do is have kids avoid their fears entirely. And we especially don't want them to be uh, absorbing that anxiety that maybe their parents are feeling, if it's something that we can help the parents manage or address so that they're more comfortable sending their kids back. What's that stat? 92% of our anxiety for kids comes directly from a parent. I feel like oh, I've I read that somewhere. I don't know that statistic, but I, but I do know that kids have a PhD in their parents and they, and, and they're constantly looking at the adults in their lives spaces to gauge just how alarmed they should be. It's like when you're on a roller coaster with your parents and you look at them or if there's turbulence on an airplane and you look to your parent or you look to the flight attendant to see if they look freaked out and if they look calm, you feel like it's gonna be okay. And I think that's very similar to what we're looking at now. Yeah. Well, Phyllis, this has been great. I think we've got uh, a lot of different ideas. Hopefully it gets uh, more schools thinking about this and, and hopefully, cause I know that, you know, we're two people. There's a million people out there with, with, with great ideas, probably better ideas. I hope they share them. Yes. And I also hope uh, on Facebook, I hope we hear from kit from people in educators in different parts of the country too. I know I was talking to a psychologist yesterday. Her name is uh, Dr. Uh, Clarissa Aguilar and she lives in Texas in a community where the kids have by and large gone back, but she grew up in a community on the border where no one has gone back. So I know that, the, and, and, not, and by choice, the schools are open. And so there are so many regional differences and so many different fears in her, in the part of Texas where she grew up, a lot of people are worried that it could threaten their immigration status if they go back to school. There are a lot of things and we have to figure out what it is that's getting in the way before we can solve any of these problems. Absolutely. Talk to your parents, ask them, let's work together on this to get our kids back and to, to reintegrate them back into school, which won't be the same. I think masks are going to stay for a long time, but hopefully everything else um, goes to the side if we can do this safely uh, next year. Phyllis, thank you. Uh, have a fantastic uh, weekend and uh, enjoy uh, the prom. Thanks. And I hope you have a great spring break, Joe. Thanks, Phyllis. Bye.